0: This is a Media Lab Podcast. On a rinky-dink spaceship headed back to Earth, Kyle and Dave are stuck on board with an evil machine. This giant robot is forcing them to watch films it picks. If they don't obey, then it'll be the end of the world again. Again. This is mostly Kyle's fault, but he's not going to face an apocalypse alone, especially not on this ship that seems to be held together with tape and imagination. This is it's Kyle and Dave I versus The machine.
1: machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. The Machine. My name is Kyle. I'm uh, waking up from this long nap that I had two two hours and 30 minutes, Kyle. No, we haven't watched the movie yet. I'm Dave. And I'm The Machine. Mm,
0: 2 hours 17, but uh, this is a podcast where Sentient Machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. The Machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today we're going to be watching the film Tokyo Story.
2: もい
0: we should give a big thank you to our patrons over on patreon we just got a new patron dave isn't Ooh, that exciting that's exciting i think i wrote this down properly cm underscore 47 i think is what their welcome screen name is thank you um i'll correct that if uh if i said that wrong but they're contributing to help us continue this show and plus each month we do do a bonus episode over there which is great well now is the time to do story progression of course dave why before we get into talking about this week's film okay yeah yeah this deep and rich fiction that we find ourselves in the machine has told us that we are now allowed to go back down to the surface we've finished our quarantine okay so uh come with me we're gonna go into this little pod bay door thing i don't know wow shuttle that's what i'm trying to think of the word yeah
1: this workshop really well okay I'm right. in. Desc- describe the for the
0: for the listeners what we're doing here right now, Dave.
1: Uh, it is very wet in here, which is what? gross. Yeah.
0: Oh. Yeah. Yuck. Well, What's been going on in here, Dave? <laughs> I think you're supposed to push that button there, Dave.
1: All right. Uh, boop. All right.
0: Well, we're we're off to Earth, and we'll it'll take exactly how long this episode happens to be. So that's perfect. We'll be down on convenient. the surface of Earth. We've been gone for over a year. You'll get to see your family, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's important. Um, so while we're doing that, I mean, we want to talk about our history with this film and, and that sort of thing. But before we get to that, there's another topic I just want to briefly discuss, Dave, because it seems like we get into this argument off mic all the time, which is streaming versus physical media. <laughs> You know, you, this week, Dave, bequeathed (laughs) upon me a mountain of DVDs and Blu-rays that somehow you got up on this ship. I I still don't know how that all worked. Cut the cord, baby. I cut the cord. What's making you cut the cord?
1: Well, I want to quip first that that is probably a tenth of the number of discs I had before we did our Mm Kamari cleaning festival.
0: He danced around the apartment, throwing things in bags. Yeah, it was great. Great festival. Actually,
1: it's not that far from the. I was, I was like upset, but okay. So, um, I think the practical event is that my son received a Nintendo Switch over Christmas. Wow! And the only plugs left uh, were to remove the uh, Blu-ray player. But what you're asking is why? Why do I not care about it? And yeah, uh, Why do you
0: hate physical media so much?
1: You know, I think what's happened, the two things that happened really are one, a couple years ago, I did a test online to see if I would uh, appreciate high fidelity audio and I failed miserably. And I realized, I don't know why I care so much about uh, Dolby mm-hmm. this and that. I can hardly hear anything. Uh, and, and two, uh, and B, I don't remember which uh, notation system I was using. I think there's so much content now. And I know we're in a streaming platform war with uh, viewing rights, so, you know, I'm not going to get access yeah. to a lot of stuff. You know, even having, let's say, Netflix or Apple TVs just released because they're trying to fight with original content. I don't have time, honestly, to go back. Like, I love Singing in the Rain, but as much as I've often talked about rewatching it, it doesn't make it onto the TV because I had to spend two nights trying to watch The Eternals. It's not that The Eternals is any, it's a piece of shit, but... Uh, I can't keep up. We talked about how we can't do the MCU marathon anymore. There's just too many pieces now. Right. That's a big thing. Helen and I had a nice talk about that. Uh, it's just kind of over. She had the whole Sex and the City compilation, however many uh, seasons of that. I
2: called dibs on that.
1: And she held on to that because she did rewatch it once. But who cares? You know, we, we mm-hmm. we're watching. What what does she watch? Uh, Inferno Island or whatever the Korean dating no, show on Netflix. I mean, it's just. Last stuff to watch so
0: here's here's the only thing about this i guess what i really am gonna say here is that i'm of two minds the part of me that's lazy and enjoys the convenience of like tapping two buttons and then am watching a movie is great i love that <laughs> i can be literally laying on my bed and be watching the seven samurai in like five seconds <laughs> it's 30 it's years how too long late take me well regardless i could be watching stinging in the rain like within <laughs> it takes a short amount of time to like you know send a tweet and then it would take me to go and find that movie and watch it like right now on the flip side of that it's not that it's like the fidelity and stuff like that i i guess i just have a bit of a problem with certain companies walling off the rights for certain films mm. there's still films that are not available to stream online yes. they're just not available the only way to do it is either to have a physical copy of it or uh, you have to torrent it, which, you know, that that is an option out there as well.
1: Not for us, because we live legitimately and legally mm, and lawfully. Of course,
0: we're yes. always, always within the bounds of the law. Don't ask us how we watch the devils. So there's, um, but even more egregious, this actually came out this week as we're recording this, uh, whether you like the movie or not, the original Adventures in Babysitting. You know, the movie with Elizabeth Shue. Have you seen that movie, Dave? Yes. Believe the actual line at the end of that movie, what it culminates with is her saying don't fuck with the babysitter that is what that line was when it was released in theaters as it was released onto home media that is what that line is on disney plus that's not what she says she says you don't mess with the babysitter and it's been scrubbed out and that really kind of bugs me that there's this like soft Revisionist
1: history yeah revisionism,
0: revisionism that happens where it's like oh we can't have this on our streaming service because we're disney Even though it was released by Disney back in the 80s. So that's even more mind blowing to me. Sure. That stuff really bugs me (laughs) that they have to do that. I have no problem with like Gone with the Wind. Let's say having that uh, message at the beginning, like, hey, this was made at a different time. The depictions of racism are something that we acknowledge. But like, here's the full uncut film. Do it the way you want that. I find a little bit more honest than being like, oh, we have to like re re edit this line. And the only way to do that now is to have physical media so that you can actually watch the actual film.
1: I don't know. My brother told me he just watched Aliens and they still haven't mm-hmm. put back the automated uh, gun gun scene in the hallway, which sucks. Mm-hmm. But you know, again, when I was more in tune with that nerdiness, I would absolutely agree with you. And I think that's a problem. I, I agree with that. It's just, um, at least, you know, with that specific example... Am I going to notice and do I want to watch Adventures in Babysitting again? You know, no. What? Well, yeah. Um, you know, am I upset about Star Wars? Yes. But did I watch it and not really notice it? Yes. You know, I don't give a fuck who shoots first. It's not important to the story, in my opinion. It's like I hate all, some all of the, the, the letters
0: that people are going to write. You can send those directly to Dave.
1: <laughs> so I, I don't know. Um, at the end of the day, I just made the decision that uh, I just I, I don't care. I love movies, Kyle. You know, we wouldn't be able to do this mm-hmm. for so many years if I didn't love movies, but I don't want this failing technology that like beta and VHS in like five years, right. it's not going to matter anyways. It, if they ever get rid of HDMI cables, it doesn't matter how many original uh, versions of these discs you have, mm-hmm. it, they, you won't be able to watch them. And that is a little defeatist, but the reality I'm willing to face, you know, my son doesn't even mm-hmm. watch movies. He builds stuff on his iPad. The world's changed too much. <laughs> I know. I failed as a father, Kyle.
0: You did? And that's all on you. Maybe it was because I took you away from your family for over a year. It's it's been a long time. I would love to hear what other people think. If you have any thoughts on streaming versus physical media, you can send, uh, you know, of course, to our Twitter page, our Instagram account, at kdvstm, or send an email, Machine at gmail.com.
2: Also send me any pictures of naked VHS tapes. That's one of my fetishes.
0: We're talking about Tokyo Story this week, Dave. Mm -hmm. Do you have any history with this film? With this director?
1: I don't know. I I know it's supposed to be one of the greatest films ever made. I recognize the image in the poster, or not the poster necessarily, but an image mm-hmm. that's often associated with this, with an old man and a, and a woman in black and white. Other than that, I don't really know anything about it. I mean, we'll see. I don't think I've ever watched any other film by this uh, director. By Ozu? By Ozu. You know, I am sure we'll, we'll talk about, right, have I watched the movie yet in our narrative, but... Uh, There, of course, not. uh, There are other uh, films that will be inspired, of of course, by the greatest uh, film uh, apparently ever made. I have nothing for you, Carl.
0: Well, I think we're kind of aligned here in this case. Uh, I've heard of Tokyo Story. Again, it has inspired other people. The uh, we watched Yi Yi Mm -hmm. about a year ago. Talk about that, yeah. Um, Edward Yang, I believe, is the uh, director's name. He made a film, one of his early films is called Taipei Story, which like has to be in reference to, to this movie. At least the name is uh, is a reference. And there's been other ones like that where it's like fill in the name of city story. But I actually have no idea what this movie's about. Literally nothing. I have no idea what this is about. So it should be fun to jump in completely blind and, and kind of have it wash over me. We'll see what it, how it oh, goes. I'm
1: sure it's going to be fun.
0: <sighs> Negativity rears its ugly head once again. Well, let's do that. Dave and I are going to go and thank some sponsors. And then when we come back from the break, we'll be jumping in with Tokyo Story. Dave, I know we're not supposed to talk about this on the podcast, but, uh, you know, if we are collaborating on this script idea to sell to the big fat cats in Hollywood, how about Calgary Story? Can we just can we just make a movie called Calgary Story?
1: Yeah, I I think it will involve nothing. What What is the Calgary story? <laughs> just people
0: bitching about an arena. That's all that the film is about.
1: <laughs> Apparently right now, we've got a big uh, asshole movement throwing shit at our mayor's house. So that's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So quality people here in the city of Calgary, Alberta. You know,
1: what? I will I'll just make this quick note. Uh, visiting Toronto over the Christmas break, it made me realize that we are complaining a lot in an entitled fashion in Calgary. Things here actually are actually not as bad as we think. It is much Mm. harder to find uh, medical help. Like I keep telling you, hospitals, you were shocked when you saw the depiction of hospitals in uh, the Nick Cage movie. That is a Toronto reality. And I don't think- Bringing out the dead. Yeah. I don't think Calgarians understand what it's like to live in a truly dense population. So-
0: Let's put it this way, Dave. The population might not be dense, but the people are. Wow. That's- Boom. Rocking mountain (laughs) house in your face calgary slam okay kyle and davis the machine is a proud member of the alberta podcast network locally grown community supported the alberta podcast network promotes and supports alberta made podcasts and connects their audiences with alberta-based businesses and organizations this week we're also brought to you by the alberta podcast network so let's go and listen to one of our other great shows
2: in the small prairie town of hillview
0: in the center of town hillview's single traffic light shifts from red to green which has no effect whatsoever as Main Street is, as usual, completely devoid of traffic. Bored
2: teenagers use their modified hoverboards to sneak into other dimensions. An
0: abandoned cityscape lives, half buried in the sand. Welcome to the multiverse. It's dangerous. The entire right side of her body looks like, uh, just a glitched out mess.
2: It's stupid. And then I
0: immediately, uh, turn around and punch him. It's got parent
2: groups in a panic.
0: Just don't do it, okay? Hugs not slugs. Alright, thank you.
2: <laughs> and it's the coolest thing ever. This is Slug Blaster. Well, your funeral and ours, I guess. And then Angus points and fires.
0: There's <laughs> an explosion, a burst of slime goes flying. Your reign of terror has come to an end. It, it kind of scrambles and glitches out, and you can see that this there's like a smoking crater where your ray gun hit.
2: <laughs> Sick. <laughs> Quantum Kickflip, a Slug Blaster actual play podcast. Part of the Alberta Podcast
0: Network. Boy, what that's a. I love that show that we just played.
2: Yes.
1: I'm glad to hear our uh, partner mm-hmm. podcaster bracket. S. Which, which
0: episode should people listen to? What number of episodes should they listen to? 32
1: was a good one. Yeah. Also, thirty-two is a good one. 204 or two, depending on. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. You
0: know, we don't even have 202 episodes yet, Dave. Yeah. So. Feels like um, it. What do you have for me this week?
1: Let's talk about Rumi. Rumi. There's an umlaut on the U. Hey, eh? German. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle, if you have cold drafts or if your lights are flickering, if it's if you hear a leak, it's may not it may not be a poltergeist. You know, you might yeah.
0: have. It might be this little like pod shuttle that we're on here right now. It is leaking pretty bad.
1: If you really want to know what's going on in your home. Room has got an ask a home inspector service and they can probably help. You can connect with a certified professional home inspector, not Kyle or Dave, like people who actually know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Although Kyle and Dave always have an opinion about everything. You can contact them by phone or- (laughs) Yeah, you need a phalange. You you totally need a phalange. (laughs) So uh, these home inspectors, the professional ones, can be contacted by phone or video call and they can answer your questions. Rumi will let you know what's easily fixable with a little DIY, or when you might need to call in some professional help. Visit rumi.ca, that's R-U-M-I dot C-A, and book your Ask a Home Inspector appointment today. You need uh, more trough in your eaves, Kyle.
0: I've been told that repeatedly. Well, okay, we've now watched... Tokyo Story are both of our first introduction to the director, Ozu. I am so scared about this, Dave. I I saw you and your stupid face on the couch reacting to this movie, and we're going to get so much hate mail. So, Dave, tell
1: me, what did you think about the movie
0: Tokyo Story?
1: Well, I don't know about hate mail. I, I think it's overrated. Mm. I mean, it's not like a bad movie. I just... I mean, you know what? I, I'll say this. When I first watched it, which is right now, versus when I mm-hmm. read a little bit around it, it's slightly different. It's not enough to make a big impact. My score wouldn't change, but it gives me some insight into why it has been culturally reappraised. This movie was not that well reviewed when it came out. And that is correct. I, I, I'm beginning to worry about Letterboxd, Kyle. Because I suspect well, okay. there's this revisionist problem where a lot of people are trying to appear well, cultured. Uh, m- m- maybe, maybe, maybe. But you, I, I, I don't want to draw with a
0: big brush like, oh, if you like this movie, you're you're making it up.
1: No, no, no. What I'm saying is the numbers lead me to believe that this is going to be a sweeping uh, treatise on something. And, and it technically is trying, not trying. It technically is having a conversation about something very important in Japanese culture. Yeah. Uh, I just don't care. Yeah that's my problem. Hmm. Uh, As a Korean, we have very similar familial structures. So, there is a part where I can kind of comprehend what's going on, but I also don't care about that either, you know? So, Hmm. uh, at the end of the day, this is still a good movie. There are some beautiful, uh, the performances are exceptional. At the beginning, it's a little over theatrical, uh, the way that each person is. It requires a little getting used to. They talk directly, at you into the camera. They're, they're all shot in very still and sort of uh, eye very level. static or, images. Yeah, yeah, eye level yeah. thing which we don't really see in a lot of cinema anymore. And they're acting at you. So, they're having a conversation with you even in their interchanges. So, you know, that takes a little while to get used to. They do not explain who the characters are in relation to each other. And I don't know if it's the English translation, but it took me an hour to figure out who was related. It took me a while
0: to figure out how how everyone kind of interrelated to each other just just for people who might be listening in and may not have watched the movie just a very basic this movie is actually pretty simple to explain it's this elderly couple who go to visit their children in tokyo their children are kind of like we don't really want you here because you didn't tell us you were coming so we're trying to fit you into our days the parents go home the grandmother passes away and then the kids have to come to the funeral. That's basically what this movie is. Like the, in a very broad strokes, that's what this movie yeah. is plot-wise.
1: Sure. I mean, we're missing a few, like the most important character, which is the widowed daughter-in-law. daughter-in-law. I think that's my broad stroke opinion. Mm-hmm. It, it's a good movie. I can understand why it would make a lot of people's, pique a lot of people's interest. Uh, I just found it boring. So I have a lot
0: to say in response to that. So unlike Dave, I do care about what this movie is trying to communicate here's the problem that in somewhat is that dave you got into my head because you sent a text message to me being like movie's trash awful you shouldn't watch it (laughs) i thought you already watched it honestly exact quote (laughs) and and i was like oh no oh no what's what's going on and so i kind of had this negative opinion as i started watching the movie Mm -hmm. i have to do a a long walk to get to my point so i'm gonna try to make this as very compact as possible. As a fan of musical theater and of Stephen Sondheim specifically, he basically made a career out of these like really intricate, deep human concepts and really wrapped it up into shows performed by and for adult audiences. Like he did not cater to teens or or people younger. But I recall when I was getting into him and getting into musical theater, There's a show he does called Company, which is all about turning 35 and trying to find a relationship and feeling like time has passed you by. Which, as a teenager, I was like, I don't get this. I don't understand why this is important. And then when I got older and older, by the time I was 30, I was like, Oh, I get this. And it speaks to me deeply.
2: And now you're near death and still aren't in a relationship.
0: Conversely, there's another show he does called Follies, which is a basically about 50-year-olds and them like having had long relationships and those breaking down and them coming facing their mortality. Once again, as a teenager, I was like, I don't really get this. I like some of the music, but I don't really get this. And the older I get, I start to align myself and understand their points of view so much more. I wrote down in my letterbox review of this movie where... Uh, I didn't fully connect with this film, and yet a part of me believes that this is going to become one of my favorite films of all time, (laughs) eventually, because I just do not have the background of having to deal with the death of a parent, which is what the majority of this film is really delving into. There's parts of it, I think, that are very resonant to me, which is like... Uh, their conversations about not talking about how much they loved each other while they were still alive and not talking giving them the time of day when they came to visit it's like like, really we should have not been such a jerks to that having the conversation between the grandmother and the grandson it's like i wonder what you're going to grow up i wonder if i'll get to see you grow up and stuff like that that's those questions of mortality as you as i assume i don't have children but as you get children i think are something that's super resonant. There is also another scene that happens about midway through this film where the grandfather goes out drinking with his old drinking buddies. And they do some pretty deep admissions like, yeah, I'm uh, ashamed of my own children. I wish they had done these other decisions. And that kind of cuts me deep because I'm like, oh, I wonder if my parents have said the same thing. I'm sure they've had some sort of similar thoughts uh, in their life before. And really makes every one of these people inside of this family feel real. They're not like wholly good or wholly bad. They're just people having these conversations. And a lot of it really, really resonated with me. And I understand why people hold this so high. This is counteracted by probably the first 40 minutes of this film, which I personally feel are such a huge hurdle to get past. (laughs) Because it's not just like they're talking... Like, it's not just, like, a slow building film. Like, it, it, I guess it is. But it's like, did you pack the, the cushion? No, I didn't pack the cushion. Oh, maybe we should look for the cushion. Oh, here's the cushion. Like, it's just like, oh, I don't... Like, I really <laughs> do not care about this conversation. It doesn't add anything. The cushion does not become important later on into the narrative. Like, none of it feels like we need to even have this inside of the film. And so once it finally gets, I feel to like quote unquote the point, I was kind of all in. But that first, I'm going to say, 40 minutes was just like, oh boy, I don't know if I'm gonna gonna make it through this.
1: I mean, that text that I sent you was during that mm-hmm. period. Not to get into my experience, but <laughs> my parents have never <laughs> been shy about telling me how ashamed of uh, me that I am. Okay. Uh, that that is changing uh, now, and I. You know, so for example, when the mother passed, even when she's having the conversation with the daughter-in-law, you know, I cried, right? This is not Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a bad film. This is a great film. There are so many great pieces to it. What I think is difficult to decode or to interpret is as I read later, I mean, I, I can kind of half see this, but I'm not Japanese, you know, I, as similar as a lot of Asian cultures can be. One thing maybe North American cultures don't understand is uh, the familial relationships. So in other words, sure, you know, it's not just a patriarchy, there's, um, you know, there are specific roles that you have to play, right? And that you are required. Mm-hmm. And it My did-
0: eldest son, eldest daughter, like what they have to do. And yeah,
1: even yeah. like this urbanization where- the kids have all left the nest. That is not actually that common, particularly in the 40s, you know, uh, or 50s, whenever this film is supposed to be. So I think there are pieces here that we can't really interpret correctly without you know wikipediaing or researching japanese culture of this era you know asian culture has evolved so much as well even though they hang on to these pieces that they may be able to interpret this movie differently so as somebody that's a second generation asian person raised in canada i can see and appreciate some of the language and relationships that happen. So, for, like the opening scene you know that is something that happens like Not to beg my dad too much, but I mean he's trying to be softer. But he'll sit down at the table and he'll just be like, "Give me a water." Oh, I don't have enough eggs. Oh, bring me another potato or whatever the fuck they're eating, right? (laughs) And then after he's done, he just leaves the room, right? That's that's something that uh, I think that people don't really understand. And it's not like my mom's not upset about it. That is just the you know that is just the required symbiosis.
0: Is that? I mean, there there is a seed in this where. I forget if it's the daughter or the son. I think it's the daughter C- calls the grandmother like, Oh, you're getting fat. I'm like, there is a no reality where I'd be able to tell my parents right. <laughs> that to their face.
1: Well, uh, you know, what's interesting about that. I, I think that these are these little uh, comments about the changing culture. Cause you, you mm-hmm. wouldn't, necessarily be able to say that in Asia either and I suspected as we were watching this that this is as much sort of you know humanizing and trying to be as real as possible about lived experiences while at the same time commenting about like every Japanese film we've watched what they're really going through I mean even the smog monster it's like a you know it's a it's a a treatise about what they're experiencing at the time
0: there's definitely a comment on the different generations and how it's progressing right again the grandparents is that one scene where they say the city is for the young like this is not this city is not made for us anymore and that's fine like we have our own house forever. i don't remember exactly where they were living they're bringing they're coming in by train but it's just like yeah it's like this city is just not made for us anymore and i think everyone will get to that point where it's like yeah the society is not made for me anymore i'm just i'm done
1: why do you think (laughs) i live in calgary now cal
0: (laughs) (laughs) right i um i like i get your point though saying like this is very much a japanese film and in fact that is what uh, japan thought at the time they thought this was too japanese in many ways so they didn't even release it internationally uh for a while but what i find hilarious this is based off an american movie this plot line is from an american film that they just adapted into a japanese storyline um so for me that while yeah there are certain things and certain customs that they have and they show in this movie they're like oh like i don't Fully understand what this means or what that what's going on. I think the core of it is pretty internationally v- um, viable. There's actually on the Criterion Channel. There's this writer. I'm so sorry, I forget his name, but he's a Jamaican writer talking about this movie being his favorite movie of all time, and he says like how weird it is that it's this movie made by a Japanese person filled with Japanese people and Japanese customs that's speaking directly to a guy growing up in Jamaica. And, and that's that's how he felt when he watched it for the first time. So I think that there is a way for you to come in at this without being like, this is so different and foreign to me than than anything else.
1: I, you know, movies of this level have many different facets and a lot of depth. So when you were describing it, you were talking about, uh, what's the right way to put it? Examples of individual human relationships. So how -hmm. the parents, like what struck out for you, and I think it's striking, is when the dad finally succumbs to his clear alcoholism with his buddies right. and they're talking about how their true feelings are different than what they show to the public.
0: They say, yeah. So yeah.
1: I think that's a universal human, that's not a Japanese thing, that's a universal human problem, I'll use this lowercase p problem.
2: I don't have a family so I don't know what you're talking about.
1: And now we're doing the existentialism thing again, but we live separate. Modes, right? Like how I appear to others and how I appear to myself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that is just storytelling. And, you know, Mm -hmm. one of those things about classic films and novels and, you know, why we can still read Shakespeare or or old myths. uh, They're speaking to universal human truths. The Japanese part is sort of the uh, relationship between the small village. What what is important to the family structure? And I I don't know many, you know, Jamaican anything about Jamaican culture. But if there are like many countries, uh, families that all are supposed to live together, that's one thing. I feel like North America is not really like that. I could be wrong, but I feel like North America is more people just get out (laughs) and individualism. Sure, but you know,
0: but but I I think it's more talking about even more base things than that about like, I kind of loved once the the parents kind of got in there and they're bouncing around to all the different children, like how each one of those couples interacts with them and like, you take them to the thing. I don't want to take them to this thing. You should try out the Kabuki theater. I don't want to take them to the Kabuki theater. And some of them feeling like, oh, like you can very outwardly see how frustrated they are that they're there. And some are putting on a happy face. And like, I I think honestly, that is that that's a North American thing, too, where the kids get around and talk about the parents. The parents get around and talk about the kids. Each kid has a different relationship to their parent. There's another film that came out recently called Come On, Come On, stars Joaquin Phoenix. Uh directed by mike mills um I'm one of the few people who were wasn't like totally taken with that movie, but there's this one moment where he because he plays the uncle to this young boy that he's helping for like um a while because the mother uh is off doing something else, but he's having this conversation with the mother, so sister and brother on the phone she drops this little thing it's like what's humbling about being a mother or one of the things that's humbling about being a mother is that I will never even though if I spend a lot of time with him, I'll never understand everything about him and he'll never understand everything about me. And I think that this movie is kind of saying the same thing. It's like, even if you are living underneath the same roof, even if you are taking care of these people, it's impossible to know everything about the other person internally because that's just so. <laughs> we'll, we'll never know. We'll just never know that level of the person.
1: You know, you have siblings. Uh, I can't remember how, yeah. how close you are in age. How you interpret who your parents are is different than. Your siblings, even if you grew up together, right so my brother Correct. and I are a year apart, how we see our parents and the relationships we have with them are fundamentally different, even though they should technically be the same. My sister is quite a lot younger than us seven seven years, so my parents were at least in my mind different people I mean same people but you know act had a different relationship and she's a, a, a female and we're males, so there's mm-hmm. you know different expectations so for me uh, I've come to realize, especially after having a kid. But uh, this idea that we're supposed to understand anybody is such a big fallacy. Sure. My, my wife and I have been together for 22 years now, but we still surprise each other because we, you know, that's just how humans are.
0: Like you jump out from like closed doors? Well, I'll that do that too because it's or, fun.
1: But, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we are always evolving. We watch this dating show you know, all Helen did and these Korean, hot mm-hmm. Koreans are on an island professing their love to each other. It's, it's a fucking joke. And I I think um, <laughs> one of the things that we've realized is who we are, who we were when we were 19 and 22 when we met and what we thought we would be and what we wanted at a relationship are so fundamentally different than what we are now. And you know, this movie is that type of film where it's a universal thing where you see that, you know, amongst the two and a half, three generations, right? like the kids are snotty. Fuck, man, I hated those kids.
0: Yeah. Boys should be lively though, as the grandmother says. Oh, gross.
1: <laughs> uh, the children of the old uh, folks, they're not dismissive. They're just actually busy trying to survive in Tokyo. I mean, they're trying their best in their own way and it's not enough, but that's its own thing. And uh, mm-hmm. the grandparents can't get with new technologies, right? They're having trouble on a on a train. You know, it's just not a mm-hmm. mode of living they're used to. So, it's it's interesting in that way. We we see a lot of different pieces. Like the grandmother break down crying and talking about both her life and the daughter-in-law's life. That That's a great insight because that is not something you normally see both in uh, fictional accounts of uh, female characters in Japanese cinema and just in general. I mean, when's the last time you really watch a movie where people are talking about how much they're suffering?
0: I think the big thing that's hovering over, over this movie, made in 1953, again, we are eight years from the atomic bombs being dropped on japan i think that is the subtle reference that the uh, daughter-in-law like and their son I, I don't know if he died in the bomb or he at least died in the war is i think what the subtext is that's going on but there's deep trauma inside of this nation here still like not not to like and we'll talk about this here in a moment like not to give japan a free pass on their own imperialist past but at the same time we had two atomic bombs dropped on this nation deeply disturbing that's still a very real and raw thing that would be in, in the country at this time this movie was being made and i think that a lot of this conversation is kind of tied back to that like <laughs> world is changing and uh we feel kind of lost and adrift within it i think that that's kind of a recurring theme that happens inside of it
1: i don't know i mean uh yeah not to minimize the atomic bombs but i i think it's wider than that. I mean, I think it's just any post-war generation. I mean, we talked about 1971 and Vietnam and We saw trauma there and you see this in any country like uh, Jewish writers escaping the Holocaust seem to write the best human dramas in America, you know, coming out of that era. You know, when you see the depths and depravity human beings are capable of, uh, it does make you more somber and more realistic, right? right? And uh, you you have to get away from what the FBI wants, I think, with the American idealism that everything's going to be okay. It's not. Uh, and there's that line that the doctor, daughter-in-law says, which is such a classic sort of theme in all Asian cinema and TV shows. Yeah, life is suffering, you know? Living mm-hmm, through mm-hmm. things is not supposed to be rewarding. You're kind of-
0: Very Buddhist of you.
1: Yeah, you're kind of, um, well, I mean, Japan and Shinto and Buddhism, I mean, there's a through line there, right? That This is not something mm-hmm. we're supposed to be jumping up and down all the time. Again, a bigger subtext that maybe the Japanese culture informs and the American culture maybe Uh, has trouble seeing or got attracted Buddhism for this is that uh, suffering doesn't mean that you're not enjoying life either. In fact, one would argue with the Buddhist tenet that you can only enjoy things when you've suffered because you have something to compare it to. These people are not unhappy, which is, I think, an interesting part of this film.
0: Although the the grandfather does say at one point, he does say, I am so sad. But I, I agree with your broader point. You're right. These are not like morose sad people
1: yeah like even that the expression for the grandfather is not that he hates his life right it's that you know it's just never going to be what you expect it to be when you get out of that you're happier when we watch the daughter-in-law living in her shitty flat even if it's a bit of a veneer she never lets on that it's not good enough for her the movie as a whole i can see why it's so important Right, and I, I can see why, particularly film historians and people who research this stuff, really want to latch on to this. But we brought up Yee. Yee. I actually liked Yee, Yee a lot better than I like this film.
0: I I'll agree with that too. And even they're making very fundamentally different films. Yes, and I will say I have not gotten to the. The the late stage Kurosawa films, but I only have seen one Ozu film. But like even around this time, like Rashomon was being made high and low would have been, I guess, guess a decade later. But Seven Samurai was what, 55, 56, somewhere in there. So that's what Kurosawa is doing currently. Much younger man, I should point out, like we're getting to the end of Ozu's life by this point. But it's interesting. Yeah. The two masters of Japanese cinema at this time and what they were what they were finding important to talk about.
1: Yeah, to your earlier point, maybe, yeah, this is an old man's movie. So then why
2: don't you like it, Dave?
1: Old man's movie that's a reflection both on his life and Japan in general. I think it does need to be contextualized, even if it's universal, that this is maybe why it's considered Japanese film, because it is a direct comment by a Japanese artist on what he sees as, you know, Tokyo. So the center of Mm -hmm. Japanese culture. And we as viewers get to draw our own experience. Like if a person raised in France watches this movie, they'll probably still be moved by it, but will have their own right interpretations because of whatever French culture is uh, baguettes and Berets
0: that would have been a better title you know, honestly <laughs> baguettes and berets.
1: <laughs> you know what I liked about you know what I liked about I, you're right they're not the same Yi is similar in that it's meant to be uh, almost documentary like uh, a day or a week I can't remember how long that Film less mm-hmm. in the life of one Taiwanese family. One family, and so it, it must be in some part influenced by this director's work. Oh, I think so. I,
0: like realism I, I mentioned Taipei Story, but then he made the four-hour-long film Brighter Summer Day, which I still want to spend the time to sit down and watch because I liked Yi, Yi so much. I have a feeling that these types of themes probably brought into oh yeah
1: unquestionably right? his
0: vision. Yeah. I, I bet you anything, I'll be like oh maybe this is the film that distills this message for me in the way that I want to watch it. Um,
1: Yeah. And I guess I don't want to sound too negative. I like to exaggerate my displeasure because uh, I think like you, me sending the text is like me reading a letterbox inverse. You know, this is a film that is, what is it ranked in the letterbox 250, like top 10 or it's pretty high.
0: Yeah. We'll get to that here in a second. Yeah.
1: So my expectation is that if I'm going to sit down for two and a half hours, and this is supposed to be this magnumonious, you know, Japanese epic, essentially. I I wasn't ready for a small sort of familiar drama and a comment on Japanese society. If I'm ever in a mood to sit down and watch a family sort of represent what culture is in the 50s, sure, maybe this is the best thing out there in this year, but I don't connect with it that much, so.
0: I honestly can say this, and this is true, when Mm-hmm. one of my parents passes away this might be the film i want to watch again because i think it will hit me even more so as as a passing of time that sort of thing um, i've actually read a few people review talking about that which is they came back to this after a death in the family and it resonated more with them when after sure. they had gone through that, I mean, that process
1: yeah uh, like i said it made me cry It moved me in in its mm-hmm. most powerful moments it does take so long mm-hmm to understand the language of this film. Especially when you don't have subtitles on, yeah. That's like saying that, right? Like when I go through a bad breakup and then I watch a tragic rom-com, it's going to mean more to me. I mean, for me, it's a bit of a fallacy to bring that up. There are so many movies that deal with death and familial relationships. Why would this be any different than any of those? You know, and this is the thing about prizing certain movies. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is the best uh, story to deal with. Death, but I don't. I don't know. I don't believe it. <laughs> I couldn't name you off the top of my head. A movie that might be more powerful, but I mean, it's not the first time I've cried in a film. It's not the first time I've watched a, it's pro- a family. Probably deal with weekend
0: that. at Bernie's. I'm gonna say that's probably <laughs> uh, the best.
1: It's not uh, the most impactful for me, and I, uh, you know, I have a bias, of course, uh, with my weird, protracted, and sort of hypocritical relationship with a Japanese culture, and, and that's my problem with like sort of being influenced by outside reviews. Its something we need to talk about a little bit, I think,
0: I guess so, but like uh, i with with film or with any art, your backstory, your own personal backstory, and your own personal experiences are obviously going to influence how you relate to those pieces, of right course. yeah, and I wish I could come up with a better example, but yeah, like there's movies that
1: oh, we you talked from about just the, last year is Panic in Needle Park out?
0: Yeah, it will come out this
1: week. Okay, so, I mean, I mean, that's the same thing. We argued yeah, about so, that like,
0: maybe. drug yeah. films, like, yeah, like, they don't speak to me because I, A, don't have that experience, and, like, I can feel empathy for those right. people, but there's not a deep understanding of that topic because I've never gone through it, and so I'm always at a bit of an arm's length, whereas other films, and I think maybe we come ac- across this when there's any type of, like, gay narrative in a movie where it's like, oh, this is hitting me, like, so close, right. and you're like, whatever. Wow. Well, <laughs> yeah. It's a thing.
1: But you're right. I mean... If you have a queer experience and there's a movie written by queer people for queer people, Mm -hmm. (laughs) me as a person on the outside, even if I'm, you know, friendly, Mm -hmm. I don't live in that. So it's not going to give me the same connection. If certainly if I'm a 70 year old Japanese man, let's say, who grew up in the 40s and 50s and my parents pass away. Yeah, this movie will break my soul. I'm sure.
0: Okay. (laughs) <laughs> well, let's see some backstory here quickly. So, Tokyo Story was released on November third, nineteen fifty-three. Currently, it is rated four point four out of five on Letterboxd, which means it is forty on the top two hundred and fifty of all time. It is rated eight point one on IMDb, which puts it at the uh, as number one hundred and eighty-one on their top two hundred and fifty. There's no available rating on Metacritic, but over on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 100% rating from 49 critics, and has a 93% rating from the users, from 10,000 plus users. does have a DVD and Blu-ray release, it is available on Criterion, but also available from iTunes and YouTube to either rent or buy. Uh, Because this is an older movie, I don't know what the budget was, I don't know what the box office was, however, the plot description hold on to your seats folks because when you hear this description you're gonna be like give me five tickets i need to take all my friends an old couple visit their children and grandchildren in the city but receive little attention wow that is the plot description to this movie wow it does have a tagline and coming off of last week dave you remember this uh this is a new thing we're doing putting on the tagline and i offhandedly said maybe we should make a game out of it and so i have (laughs) here's the game I have three options of what you think the tagline could be for this movie, okay. and you have to pick the right one. So one of these is the actual tagline, and two of them are from my mind's eye, oh, something nervous. I completely okay. made up.
1: Okay.
0: Is the tagline for Tokyo Story, as long as life goes on, parents and children will never fully understand each other? Is it, as long as life goes on, relationships between parents and children will bring boundless joy and endless grief? Or is it, as long as life goes on, relationships will bring happiness and misery?
1: They're all so similar. You're, you're off the cuff shit. <laughs> I know. That's That's bullshit. Plus, it's interpreted into English, so this is not going to work like, for this right, movie. I know, I know. Yeah, I mean...
0: <laughs> <laughs> so basically, as a quick all overview right. again, they all, say, I, they, all start, they all start with as long as life goes on, but is it, parents and children will never fully understand each other? relationships between parents and children will bring boundless joy and endless grief or relationships will bring happiness and misery
1: i'm just trying to i'm trying to imagine how like linguistically it would translate in an asian language i don't care uh three
0: incorrect it is the second one all right as long as life goes on relationships between parents and children will bring boundless joy and endless grief what a mouthful of a tagline that one is.
1: Well, I mean, you have to ask how many kanji characters it was. Actually, kanji's a complicated...
0: Three. Okay, this is where you can really start to make fun of me here. Um, so, the stars. Shishu Ryu as Sh- Ashukishi as Hirayama. Uh, Shieko Higashiyama uh, as Tomi Hirayama. Setsuko Hara as Noriko Hirayama. So Yamamura as Kuishi Hirayama. And Kudoko Miyaki as Fumiko Hirayama. There's anything you want to say about those uh, actors?
1: There's not a lot. I mean, the only interesting thing I found was on Setsuko Hara, who plays... Uh, or maybe it's Hara Setsuko. Anyways... Yeah,
0: she's the, uh, uh, the daughter daughter-in-law. Love.
1: She's quite famous, apparently. The, the interesting thing uh, was she's known as the Eternal Virgin which is interesting? What? Yeah, so <laughs> What does that mean? I mean she's quite beautiful, she's very successful in the Tokyo film scene, but she never married and there's no controversy mm. around her
0: and therefore never had sex.
1: Well, and that's the thing about Asian cultures, right? Is that and for example, if we think we're puritanical in North America, there's a fundamentally different sort of approach even mm-hmm. though we see in Japan when uh, when they go the other way <laughs> It's quite extreme. But anyways, uh, so this in the 50s and 60s, she's apparently known as the Eternal Virgin because she never marries, but she's so beautiful and uh, she always mm-hmm. plays these sort of uh, tragic romantic heroines. It's kind of like actually, I suspect, not implying that she's gay, but you know, we, we've met so many gay actors, uh, leading men in Hollywood that yeah. uh, sort of have this aura too, where they're like, oh, the unattainable perfect man. And it turns out they're attainable. It's just you weren't allowed to attain it. Because uh, you're a woman, I guess Japanese people notice she retired as soon as Ozu died, and so there's an implication they were actually mm. in a relationship, but it doesn't matter because uh, there's not a lot after that.
0: Yeah, the only other one I know really is Shishu uh, Ryu, who is the grandfather. Yes, like he was 51 or something, and he's portrayed as like this ancient man, right? Like, <laughs> but he had a f- he had 40 more years in his career. Like yeah. he acted up into into his 90s. In fact, he's in one of Kurosawa's last movie's dreams so he's one of the people in, inside of that he's good
1: in it. i mean the, every actor i couldn't find much yeah. on any of them because you know they're international actors and not all of them are uh you know big names it seems like they may be you know cursa has this too like a little troupe that uh, yeah is right. in a lot of ozu films we
2: should start our own troop
0: well that's the other thing like I, I, I'm, I'm speaking as if i know this off the top of my head but like or like i know a lot more about this than i do all i know is that there was toho was one of the major studios this was the other major studio (laughs) uh right and but they operated the same way so ozu was in this other major studio and they had a group of people that you could draw from so they just like picked the same actors yeah right so anyways
1: yeah anyways they're they're all great just like when you watch kurosawa films that core group Mm -hmm. they're always good whatever role they're thrown so they're probably all somewhat you know, classically trained, whatever that means in that era. And they were fun. They were all fantastic.
0: This movie has cinematography by Yoroharu Atsuta, written by Kogo Noda and Yasujiro Ozu, directed by Yasujiro Ozu. We kind of, I already kind of mentioned it here a few moments ago, but this film, quite remarkably, has its start in America, specifically the 1937 film Make Way for Tomorrow, which also, by the way, happens to be in the top 250 of Letterboxd. Oh. Uh, this was a movie that was directed by Leo McCarey. It was adored by Orson Welles. Welles claimed that it would make a stone cry. <laughs> and to that I say he has not met David Young. It's I basically Christ. <laughs> It's basically the same story, but set in the Depression-era United States rather than post-war Japan, and the ending is also different. I read the plot synopsis. It seems like it focuses a little bit more on these two young lovers rather than, like, the whole family dynamic. Anyways.
1: That's a statement on culture, right?
0: Yes, 100%. This was director Leo McCarey's favorite film that he ever did. In fact, when he won an Oscar for a different film a few years later, in his acceptance speech, he said, thanks but you gave this to me for the wrong film. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Ungrateful. Right? Yeah. Jesus
1: Christ. (laughs) That's what it takes to be a great director. You got to be an asshole. Mm
0: -hmm. Regardless, longtime Ozu collaborator Kogo Noda had seen this film and loved it. Noda was born in 1893. Wow.
1: Major Restoration, baby. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And had been a reporter and then a film writer for a magazine. And after this huge earthquake that had happened in Japan, He decided to follow his passion of film and became a script writer. He actually wrote Ozu's first film, Sword of Penitence, which is a silent film and is also, unfortunately, a lost film, as are most silent films. There's just no... no prints that have ever been discovered of it. Now, Uzu was 10 years younger than Noda, so he was born in 1903. He began by making short comedies and then transitioned into more serious films later on into his career. As with Tokyo Story, the themes are most commonly among, uh, most common in his filmography are about family and how like the generations relate to each other. He also, looking into his filmography, have, has a lot that refer to seasons, right? There's like early autumn, late summer, late spring. Because his films weren't making that much money, he was actually conscripted into the Japanese army in 1937. And Dave, I'm going to throw this to you. Apparently, he then went on to do some war crimes.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. Anybody who partakes in war is committing crimes. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. there's no such thing as a morally uh, absolved soldier, unfortunately. I mean, you are there to kill and harm other people. But I think any sort of imperialist and colonial enterprise is, at least in our eyes, more repulsive because of the sort of uh, power dynamic, right? And Mm -hmm. uh, Japan already has a bad reputation in Asia because... They didn't just colonize Asia, they uh, destroyed them. We Mm -hmm. can make some comparisons to some of the colonial uh, exploits of Europe, but Japan is known for some abject fucking torture and raping and all kinds of disgusting things. Ozu's part of, what is it, a chemical warfare unit in China. Um, In China. And he's got anecdotes about uh, comfort women and all kinds of uh, fun things that soldiers- There is such
0: a long section on his Wikipedia page about comfort women. Yeah.
1: So, you know that if that's on the Wikipedia, it's probably a lot worse than uh, what's being parlayed.
0: Well, I think what's even more alarming is (laughs) it starts off by like a lot of this information came from his own personal diaries in which he said, never publish these diaries. And then, of course, they get published. So,
1: (laughs) yeah. And we joke a little bit about like, you know, people like Tom Hanks of, you know, there's skeletons in everybody's closet. Tom Hanks was
0: also a part of... Of that unit, so, you
1: know, uh, human beings by nature are not good, right? We, in a philosophical sense. So well, I, that's I don't the wanna, difference
0: between you and I, Dave. Uh, I think that that humans are good, but no, uh, do terrible no, no. things. But uh, yeah,
1: it, it's not. We're capable of both, but we're in the middle, and you have to make decisions. And so, this is not his fault. It's not. You know, he's not a serial killer, as far as we know. But it is interesting the influence that you know, we see this in American filmmakers. Anyone who's fought in a war was part of either uh, the Second World War or the Korean War or whatever, Vietnam, uh, they have fundamentally different things to say than folks that have never been there. Even something like this where it's so tempered and slow, there's something about it that I I can't get on board with. He creeps me out, man.
2: All humans creep me out. Too fleshy.
1: I don't like reading about people that uh, went on these missions and took pride in Fucking killing other people. It doesn't seem no. to be a lot of yeah. remorse in the way he writes about his yeah. own life. So pretty interesting guy.
0: Kurosawa made propaganda films, Dave. Yeah. So why do you like his films so much?
1: Yeah. I don't know. His films are fun to watch. <laughs> and uh I saw a picture. He looks good in a fedora. So that's that's neat. Yeah, he, has, he has a cool mustache. Yeah, yeah. I like his mustache. Yeah. yeah, that's it. That's all I had to say. I mean, his work is uh, revered. He's a good filmmaker, mm-hmm. so it's nothing to do with his uh professional personality yeah he's, he's
0: very much known for like that again minimalistic style usually camera stationary eye level even when people are kneeling down they come down to eye level
1: they named that yeah that camera yeah. position after like they call it the tatami shot so apparently he right. innovates yeah. that so he's not a nobody; he's great
0: when he comes back from the war he does start making films again but even in japan his films are often described as too japanese which mm. so again something I find funny, but he passed away early. Like he passed away in like 63. He only lived to be 60 years old. And then this film would actually not be released into the United States until 1972. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when a lot more critics and filmmakers actually got to see it for the first time. And where that is where you kind of start to hear it being heralded as the a great film and one of the best films of all time. Magnus, um, and we'll talk Magnus. a little bit more Magnus. about that legacy uh, when we talk about cultural relevance here at the end but yeah you start it's in the 70s when you really start to see the reevaluation of ozu as a creator
1: the power of retrospection
0: i know you're a very anti retrospection but i don't know i mean this this is why i like going back and watching older movies like whether i agree with this being put on the great films list that's why i like to go and investigate myself i think that there's you know films i've stumbled across whether they're b movies or like throwaway films direct to video they're like oh actually, this is really great. Why did everyone say this was bad? So, I constantly reevaluate stuff too. Or I watch Ace Ventura again as a 29-year-old. I'm like, oh, this doesn't hold up at all. (laughs) You know, there's there's, there's things you kind of have to go back and be like, oh, actually, no.
1: My problem is not that we shouldn't watch old films. I love old films. I think my problem is bandwagoning. I think that's cynical on my part to assume that people are buying into an opinion because other people are buying into it. But I mean, that's the thing that's part of human nature is it's difficult to have your own opinion. We, we talk about it a lot, how we're influenced. Like, I text you while sure. watching this. It influences how you interpret the film. I read a letterboxd review. It interprets uh, – it, it influences how I interpret a film. So, art is kind of weird that way, right? You know, we saw this with Vanishing Point, No, uh, two Tulane Blacktop and uh, – I was going to bring that up. Yeah.
0: Yeah, like that – and honestly – the difference being, like this film, I completely get and understand why someone would say, "Yes, this is great. It's one of my favorite films of all time." Versus Tulane lane Blacktop*, I'm like, I don't get it. Like, I, I just still do not get the love that that movie gets.
1: That's the thing. I, I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. I mean, we, will see in 1982. There's going to be movies I'm biased about, and I'm going to give a much oh, higher score than critical. I'm <laughs> going to have to call
0: you out on this. Yeah. Uh, my struggle, honestly, is with how much should I give, like like the behind the scenes information that I know about certain films and allow that to impact me for a bit of a more modern example. Although, these are now over 20 years old at this point the uh, lord of the rings films mm. some of the love i have for that is just having had access to all of those peter jackson behind the scenes he made special websites for them at the time to go and watch and he would upload videos to and I show you how that. he made those films mm. and you'll even see like uh videos nowadays or the meme being like how every boyfriend has to tell his girlfriend that Viggo Mortensen actually broke his toe when he kicks the helmet and so his scream is actually real I right so you know yet. this background information and it influences you like this is why I love this movie because I know this background information what
1: world do you live in <laughs> why do you know these things
0: <laughs> Dave I like movies and so I, I like too, to man. learn about them
1: and uh, I like that Serious, I, I didn't love it at the time mm-hmm. because I was too, I was reading the books too often. Uh, I don't care about Vigos till th- this is why you still believe in physical media because you want all this supplementary bullshit and I I don't understand any of it I, this is uh, the well, retrospective okay. I part. mean I mean this is right
0: okay, but I guess I was gonna contrast that because those are movies that I quite like and part of that behind the scenes adds in my enjoyment of it okay but then the other example I always give is, like, the Star Wars original trilogy, which, like, fine. Like, I do like Star Wars. Like, I like Star Wars. I don't love Star Wars. I've never been, like, a Star Wars lover. Fucking of weirdo. But then people will go on and be like, this is why Boba Fett is, like, the best character in the entire series. Like, he's in it for five fucking minutes. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't understand this love of Boba Fett. It's like, well, the cartoon series did this, and then this book series told us about this. And if you read the behind-the-scenes supplementary material over him, like, I don't care. I'm never going to do that. I only have the films and he's in it for five minutes. I don't get it that sometimes that behind the scenes, that nerddom can start definitely influence you. And as a cinephile, yeah, like when you start to revere Orson Wells and Ozu and Kurosawa, and uh, I'm trying to think of other big names <laughs> at the, that, of world cinema and stuff like that, but like uh, Fellini and all that kind of stuff. I do think some of that starts to influence you. I'm like, this is what on is like one of the best movies mm-hmm. of all time. And like, this is why this movie when it's like, well, well, yeah. I don't know. We, we saw it's the fine. Knights of
1: Kiberia. We've seen that, you know, where even mm-hmm. uh, Bogdanovich and stuff. I mean, we, we have split opinions right. about some of these films, but sure. Yeah. I agree with that. It's hard, right? Uh, the, Maybe the appraisal of art for oneself and the appraisal of art in the context of culture and society and how do we balance those two things, right? Like I I went to the Louvre, I saw the Mona Lisa, (laughs) I walked away from Uh it, I don't give a fuck right? It's great. It's painting. I've seen prints of it everywhere. But somebody who studies art and wants to know about how one uses a certain type of textural paint to make this effect, they might stare at that fucking thing for like six days and uh, have a you know, full erection the whole time if they're a male. And I, I well, don't- I mean, I, I, don't I, I will
0: say like I stumbled across this TikTok video of this art historian just talking about this one painting and what, like, all the things in it actually are referencing. And I found it fascinating, because, like, of course I wouldn't know this, because I didn't live in 1600s Italy. So, you can call it, like, this is what he's trying to communicate, this is what this thing means painters of the time would have known that this color over here is representative of this. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. I like it that you're breaking it down. Someone who's knowledgeable is breaking it down and, and explaining it to me. That stuff I love, like the explanation of a shot or why it works or how it was constructed is cool. At the same time, unfortunately, that also gets like, and now you have to love everything that this director has ever done or you right. have to love and, and revere them as like this master of cinema I was like, no, there's a cool shot.
2: Yeah. I'm the master of cinema now
0: the last thing I just wanted to mention about this that we really haven't talked about yet is I think part of the reason why I really resonated with this film that grandfather character who reminds me a lot of my dad and I think that is probably part of the reason why I was drawn through this the kind of like the sadness behind his eyes but trying to put on like a happy face uh, and trying to keep the family together I don't know it just and I feel and honestly there's that conversation that the kids have is like in a way I wish that he had died first rather than the grandmother dying first i'm like us kids have had similar conversations and i won't say which way it went
1: I, my first quip would be i think any parent mm-hmm. <laughs> starts looking like that you know th- there's a contrast i think They've uh, been
0: beaten down yeah
1: yeah a little bit i mean i don't want it to sound too negative but I, I noticed it in myself too i think as emotionally stable as i've been my whole life Once you have to live generationally, this idea of suffering changes its definition. Right. When you're young, suffering's like I didn't get to watch the movie I planned to go watch. I didn't, you know, get to meet the person I wanted to have a relationship with. I mean, there are they're important and they're emotionally viable things to discuss, but there's a different line when like in this guy when he's drunk when he's talking about himself his kids you know like his career his family's happiness overall whether they're actually doing as well as he had hoped whether he's okay with that there's so much more weight at every time every turn as you get older and older i've been noticing you know my parents are in their mid-70s when i go visit them now i mean they're shrinking literally they're shrinking they're frail it's gonna happen uh, so as we get older we have to deal with that as you brought up at the beginning uh, like i said this is not a bad movie uh, this is an important film
0: just because i've seen we and we've all seen so many films it's so bad now because as soon as that grandmother says like oh i'm a little dizzy i'm like oh you're dying yeah <laughs> like any type of malady for an older person it's like oh you're gonna die by the end of this movie
1: yes I mean that's how this movie sets up. I, I've been noticing that too with myself, almost thirsting for drama. <laughs> and maybe that's my problem with this film: is it just took so long to get there, and when it happens, it's so understated and and pretty real, uh, at least within the context yeah. of this family. That it's interesting. There's a lot of layers. I think that, like you brought up, if your family, the more your family mirrors this family, of course, the more devastating this film will be. Families are difficult,
0: man. Like there's all these all weird, weird hurdle things. Yeah. And- say you have to things you can say out loud and things you can't say out loud and things you can only say to one person anyways. It's, it's good
2: we're done here so
0: the machine has said that we have to wrap this up so we should probably move on into critics choice
1: critics choice this is the
0: part of the show where we discover what the critics thought at the boom, time boom, boom. this film was released except not really in this case because there is not much contemporaneously unless you read japanese which i do not mm. roger ebert did eventually give this movie a four out of four stars this was part of his great movies list this is in part what he writes no story could be simpler An old couple come to the city to visit their children and grandchildren. Their children are busy, and the old people upset their routines. In a quiet way, without anyone admitting it, the visit goes badly. The parents return home. A few days later, the grandmother dies, and now it is the turn for the children to make a journey. From these few elements, Ozu made one of the greatest films of all time. Tokyo Story lacks sentimental triggers and contrived emotion. It looks away from moments a lesser movie would have exploited. It doesn't want to force our emotions, but to share its understanding. It does this so well that I am near tears in the last 30 minutes. It ennobles the cinema. It says, yes, a movie can help us make small steps against our imperfections. And Dave, your rebuttal?
1: No, I don't have a rebuttal. I agree in principle. I mean, like I said, it made me cry. I have no problems with people appraising this fairly highly. And it's just, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I didn't, I won't watch this movie. again. <laughs>
0: Oh, I will. I know I will for sure. Um, Pauline Kael did not talk about this movie, so instead I have gotten someone just as good. Straight from Letterboxd, the user ziglet underscore mirror. Excellent. He gave this film 2.5 stars, and he writes, It is also not exactly what we see in Tokyo Story, but it is a a rendition of the narcissism and loneliness life throws at us in a very ironic way. This irony rears its head in Tokyo Story through the parents' journey to each of their children and the following results that stem from it, yet the film still falls short. I suppose my main qualm is this. Is it possible to observe the mundane successfully without being mundane? Maybe this explains just about every other film in existence and points out exactly what makes Ozu special, and perhaps he has succeeded if I do in fact find it boring. It's just a tad unfortunate his specialty is so gosh darn unexciting in this entry of his work. 47 people liked that comment.
1: It's not necessarily wrong either. All I could think about was how do I incorporate the word qualm more? I feel like I used to use it more it's often. It's a good word, huh? Yeah. Qualm. It's pretty negative, right? But I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think... Uh...
0: Uh, he, uh, he also admits to the fact that he doesn't really like any of Ozu's films, right. So, but I mean, everyone is entitled to their opinion, right, so there exactly. we go. I am excited to watch more of his stuff, though. I do want to explore a little bit more of his body of work instead of making up an opinion off of one movie. Dave, that does mean we should answer the question we ask each week. Does this hold up, and is it still culturally relevant? What do you say? Hmm.
1: I, yeah, I don't know how to answer these questions, to be honest. With you. Like I said, it, does it hold up? Do I think a modern audience could sit through this? No, I don't. Uh, hmm. But does it hold up in its technical aspects? And did it make me cry? Yes. So I, I'm of two minds, right? Here's
0: I, my pushback on I'm, gonna, I'm yes and yes, by the way, I think it holds up. And I think it's still culturally relevant. But as far as like a modern audience seeing through that, is that because of the black and white just to be reductive of it? Or why would you think that someone would sit through Yi Yi or why would someone sit through Akiru or something like that, which I think is just as morose or slow paced.
1: We had the same talk in Yi Yi. I don't think a modern audience would sit through mm-hmm. Yi Yi. Uh, should they? Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe. it's only 20
0: years old, but yeah. But that's
1: the thing, you know, um, yeah. I, I think it's the same conversation. I can't remember what we talked about with Yi, but I'm pretty sure I said the same thing, which is, you know, Helen's Taiwanese. This is a movie about the Taiwan she grew up in and she mm. could hardly sit through that fucking movie. I was enraptured mm. by it, but like this movie, it took probably 30 minutes for me to even give a shit to continue it. So do I think a modern audience as a broad stroke could sit through this and want to pull something out of it? I don't know. Like any... Any movie that's dealing with the human nature doesn't have a lot of depth? Absolutely. Should people care more? Probably. How will they? I don't think so.
0: Yeah, I I I guess I would go so far as saying like it's gonna be broadly popular, like the masses, probably not. No. If you consider yourself a cinephile or a lover of movies, then yes, you should watch yeah, that's this movie. Fair. Yeah,
1: if if you're listening to this podcast, you should probably watch this film. <laughs> if you yeah. can put up with us, you can put up with this movie. So, <laughs> if you've yeah.
0: gotten this far, in recent years, here is how this movie has kind of fared as far as cultural relevance. So in 2008 it was voted as the 14th greatest film of all time by the French film magazine Kahir du Cinema. In 2009 it was voted as the greatest Japanese film of all time in Japan. In 2010, The Guardian voted it as the 4th greatest art house film. In 2018 the BBC selected it as the 3rd greatest foreign language film. And it has also had quite the history on the sight and sound poll. We brought this up a couple of times but sight and sound every 10 years comes out and canvases like a bunch of critics and filmmakers and says what are the top 10 movies of all time which means in 2022 by the way another poll is going to be coming out here pretty soon
2: prepare for movie no christmas
0: because the last one was in uh 2012 so that had uh, headlines because for the first time in like five decades or six decades citizen kane dropped to number two right. instead of number one right but in its history in 1992 it was ranked third in 2002, it was ranked fifth. And then in 2012, it went back up to third place. So it's been in the top five for the last 30 years. Like I said, it's, there's going to be a new poll. I'm going to call my shot Dave. And I'm going to see if I'm going to be totally right or like completely wrong. My guess is that it goes up to second place in 2022. That's my guess for this movie, is that it goes up to second place and Citizen Kane drops to third. I think they're going to f- swap places.
1: I definitely think Citizen Kane's staying power is waning. Tokyo Story going up. It's fascinating. We'll see. I don't know. It's hard to get a gauge of modern criticism anyways. You know, there's it's become quite bipolar. So yeah, we'll see. I, I don't follow we'll these lists. As you know, I'm not a big award ceremony type of person. So
0: well, when this list comes out, we'll make a special episode all about it. Sure.
1: Yeah, we should watch those movies and get upset. So is it culturally relevant? Sure. Right. Created these groundbreaking yep. uh, minimalist shots. We We have all these things happening in it. So why not? Why up.
0: Yeah, I think its impact is definitely felt even to this day. So regardless, I would love to hear what other people think because uh, we need to rate this film. But before we do, that's what Dave and I thought about Tokyo Story. What do you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs. the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. We also release two videos each week on our YouTube channel that matches the movie we're talking about that week. So on Mondays, we react to the trailer, and then on Fridays, it's a mini-review of that film. So you can go and follow us over there. If you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page, letterboxd.com slash kdvstm. And if you want to support us monetarily, so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the next apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar per month. Something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. If we haven't mentioned it yet, that is now available on Spotify. So if you're a Spotify listener, then you can go over to Spotify and give us a rating. So let's get to the rating of this movie. Dave, what would you give out of five Tokyo Story?
1: Uh huh. I like these numbers, Kyle. I'm not really a numbers guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Q? No, I, I think I'm gonna go with like a 3.5. I'm I'm sure oh that's gosh. a bit low, but I don't know. I don't know what it no, is. No,
0: Dave. This just means that, um, unfortunately, we're completely aligned with our ratings. What? Because <laughs> that's what I give it to. I thought you
1: were saying that this is such a great thing to you know, go back, you know, cry when that's something happens. That's why I, I
0: preface everything by saying like <laughs> I was so.
1: I thought you were going to give it like a five. You, you affected me. <laughs> no,
0: you affected me so much. got into my head because it's like a terrible film that that's what I started watching it as and it slowly won me over. But there's still that first 40 minutes that really bugs me that I wish the whole film felt like the way I felt. But I, like I said, I'm pretty confident that if you asked me this in another decade, I'd probably be like... Yeah, it's like one of my favorite movies of all time. It has <laughs> one of those things I think it's going to creep up with me all over right. and over. But as for a first watch, I'm giving it a 3.5, which does mean that everyone hates us. We're going to get so many letters. Mm. Here's the question that we have to say then. Just like last week, is it better or worse than The Samurai? And more important, is it better or worse than Knights of Kiberia?
1: Mm. these are hard eh now that we're getting um like it is more because i'm split i'm split in this
0: way is that i think i enjoyed watching knights of Kiberia more but i think this has more relevance than the samurai like i probably put it in between those two but i don't know
1: yeah i mean as much as i am critical about the pacing and, and the slow start and and some of the super positive reviews of this film i i might even put it on top of all of them because uh a, it made me cry at least because mm, of the, right. the the mom, uh, the grandma. But for me, it would be my mom uh, passing away. And B, I feel like I don't know. I always two part these things, but I I feel like not so much that I would watch this film again. But if I were to watch this film again, it would have you know these deeper sort of meanings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found La Samurai*, for example, as you know, we talked about last week, style and not a lot of depth. So I think mm-hmm. I would. Not care, you know. I'll care less even if I on a second viewing of that film. And uh, Knights of Kabira, I actually just don't remember that well.
0: <laughs> I like Knights of Kabira yeah. a lot. But okay, let's do that then. Let's uh, try and stem the tide of letters and have Tokyo Story enter our list at the number ten position Ooh. of the Letterbox Top Two Hundred and Fifty. That's where we're going to stop talking about uh, these movies for a while. There's a couple of movies from nineteen eighty two that will join this list once we get there, but we'll save that for for that time. I guess we should find out what we are talking about next week, Dave, so I'm just gonna push this button here on the uh, little pod. Oh, well, we're gonna start 1982 in a very interesting way, Dave, we're gonna be talking about losing ground. Which from my uh, recollection is a lost film. So I guess we're going to talk about uh, losing ground as our entry point into 1982. I should also point out next week is going to be pretty heavy for us because on Monday, the trailer for 1982 is going to be released. So like a 90 second preview to wet people's appetites uh, will be released on Monday. On Wednesday is going to be our preview to 1982. So it's going to be a full episode talking about some of the things that were going on at the time.
1: Whenever you recorded uh, all as well this? As
0: well as what, well, I know, Dave. So uh, talking about the time and then also things that were going on in industry and sociopolitical stuff wow. uh, of 1982. And then finally, our Losing Ground episode will be released on Friday. So what? big week next week for the podcast. <laughs>
1: So it's all news to me. So this will be fun. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's Ooh. all in the document, Dave. It's Ooh. all in the document. All right. Uh, anyways, so I look forward to that. Oh, whew. prepare yourself for landing here, Dave.
1: Wow, holy!
0: All right, just put uh, just push that button. and You can open up the door.
1: Oh, what is that smell? Oof.
0: Yeah, and. Why are all the cars, like, super old looking? Hmm. This is weird.
1: Hmm. Ronald Reagan? Yeah, I've got... And why is
0: no one looking <laughs> at a smartphone? Wait a second, Dave, is that an actual newsstand Ooh. that is standing
1: up over there? And I, the what's... paper is so large, that is an exceptionally large piece of paper.
0: Oh my god, Dave, do you know what I think what's going on here? I think we have arrived back on Earth, but I think we're actually in 1982.
2: All humans creep me out. Too fleshy.